Well, good morning, church. How are you? So uh, we talk in the terms of a, a new year, fresh start, right? We get to a new start. We're having this sermon series called Fresh Start. Um, it's the 15th, though. Do you need another fresh start already? So um, sometimes it cycles that way at the beginning of the year, right? Maybe we bite off more than we can chew. We need another fresh start. Well, we're talking about that this morning in terms of baptism. Um, but I want to review a little bit. Last week, we talked about understanding what it means to be a Christian, and it's very important to have this definition down because the definition not only informs us in the sense of we want to really share what it means to be a Christian, but it also reminds us in our own life. It reminds us of what we've surrendered to and what we've become. And there's sometimes on this journey called Christianity where that is a very intentional journey to remind me, to say, I am going to do this, I believe this. So let me remind you this morning, if you uh, had forgotten from last week, it's in your notes as well for you. In fact, it's a great thing, I think, for everyone at Wendover Hills to kind of memorize this year. We'll say it a bunch, what a Christian is. A Christian is one who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in the redeeming work, excuse me, of Jesus Christ through his death on the cross and his resurrection. I mean, that's his belief system, that we put our faith and trust, faith and trust, meaning like I surrender before that. They're not just buzzwords, but they're faith and trust. Like the only time I've ever bungee jumped, and I'm not great with heights anyway, that faith and trust I had with that cord, that rubber band that I was jumping off on, I don't know if it was 100% uh, faith and trust. Uh, maybe there was just a hope and beg, but that's what I stepped off of. And, and, uh, and then there was this proof that that band could hold me. This, after you hit the lowest point and then you rebound back up, you're your attitude changes entirely. It went from like hollering and screaming and I'm going to die to this is exciting and exhilarating, right? So I put my faith and hope, my faith and trust in the redeeming work of Christ, that redeeming work saying I need to be redeemed. Something in me has to be changed. There's defic deficiency within my life centered around my sin or my selfishness or my desire to say, here's God's direction. I'm going this way and that way and any other way. I need the redeeming work of Christ. And that redeeming work, I just don't find it in myself. But I, I find it in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm proclaiming as a Christian. All those things are significant. But if we're not careful, if we end there, it could drift in just to a belief system. That's your theology, Right? The last line is so important. Our behavior mirrors, reflects, and resembles Christ. I say, now I'm going to become like him. What I do, what I say, what's important to me, what's not important to me, the direction I go in life, when I say yes and when I say no, all of that is going to be centered around Christ, and it is going to mirror. It's going to reflect in the sense I want other people to see it, and it's going to resemble Put me up against Christ. That's what I want to look like. That is a definition of what it means to be a Christian. And we, we want to lock that in our lives. In fact, it could be this morning that alone challenges you enough in teaching that you just are like, listen, I know you're going to keep talking, Tom, but I just need to shut down and reflect on that in the Lord the rest of this time. You have every permission to do that. If, that, if the Lord's already spoke to you in that way, go for it. But what I want to do, what I want to talk about this morning is this concept and this idea of baptism. 
And I want to talk to you a little bit about where does it originate? Where does it come from? Because I think what we think sometimes on a lot of things is it wasn't there and the next day it's there. And what we think about it and how we actually perform the ritual of baptism is kind of the same as it's always been throughout the history of, of Christianity or in the Bible or even through the Old Testament as well. And we actually see a progression of this. And it's a very significant progression, which represents quite a bit. And so when we actually baptize somebody, we're not just simply saying, you know, old and new. That's the generalization. But there's so much other richness that goes into what we want to declare when we're baptizing someone. So I'm going to walk through, I'll put it in your notes, the origin of baptism. Kind of where, where did this, uh, this idea originate? Um, if you've ever read the book of Genesis, you ever done that? Some of you are cranking on it. Anybody cranking on that right now? Read the Bible through a year? Let me rephrase. Was anybody cranking on that <laughs> in the New Year's? Yeah, that's how it goes sometimes. It's okay. All right. All right. Don't beat yourself up. Just jump back in. It's fine. Um, you won't find the word baptism in there at all. Get to the second book, third book, fourth book, you won't find that word. But we do see the concept of baptism being formed, and it flows in the Old Testament, and it becomes much more ritualistic in leading us to what we call baptism uh, today. So let me take you to one verse uh, way back in the beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 10, and it reads this way. God named the dry, uh, the dry land earth, and he named the gathered water seas, God saw how good it was, right? Have you ever started there with baptism and said, hey, there's a good baptism verse? Well, no, because it doesn't straightforward talk about baptism, but it speaks about the birth of the waters and the creation of waters here on earth that God has designed. And very early on, something you and I take for granted every day, you wake up, you get your shower in the morning, right? Get clean for the day, and then you head out uh, on your day. We take that for granted every single day, right? I just got to get ready for work. That's how we say it. In fact, most of the time, we don't even say, I showered and got clean. I got washed this morning. We just say, I got to get up. I got to get ready for work. We may say the word showered, and then we move along. But here, the concept of when water came in, and the understanding or discovery, if you want to say that, that water washes you, that water cleanses you, when you get dirty, you can use that water God created to actually clean yourself up. Um, these, are, these are huge ideas. And so very, very early on, we get the idea, we get the concept. And if you do want to look through early books of the Bible and see the idea of being washed clean by water. Now, sometimes we look back on that and we over-spiritualize that in the sense of saying, oh, they're being spiritually washed clean. Whereas a lot of those passages are just saying they are washing themselves. They're bathing like you and I bathe. But that's where the concept begins. That water created by God is actually used to wash. Now, you might say, well, Tom, you're making a little much of this. Well, the word for waters that shows up there is the word mikvah. It's a variation of the word mikvah. And we're going to actually see this becomes, in fact, if any of you have a Jewish background in any such, or a friend that is Jewish and you talk dialogue of, of the Jewish faith, you'll know even today the word mikvah is, is used, all right? And it applies to washing oneself clean. We'll get to that 
later. So the waters had this cleansing ability, and there actually became this washing and thanking God. So you clean yourself up, or you wash yourself off, and there is this thanking God. Thank God for this cleansing. And we actually see it shows up even early on, where we're trying, Lord, thank you. I wash my, my hands. I wash myself. Um, um, it shows up early on. And it's simply talking about the ability of water to clean, right? The mikvah early on. Now, this is just another one of those mikvah sermons you've probably heard your whole life, right? So, no, we don't, we don't ever talk about this. This might be your first one ever, but this is where the concept of baptism originates. This idea that the mikvah cleanses you. Well, later on, we actually see that it's starting to be used in the idea of, I need to be clean, physically clean, so that I can do something else. Okay, so you, you understand the progression here? So one is just the thought of cleansing. Wow, the water is, we can clean with this water. Um, and now the concept of, I need to be cleaned so that I can do whatever. And we actually see that the idea of being clean so that I can be used by God or set apart for some use. And did you know the word holy simply means set apart? So sometimes the word holy is used in the Old Testament, and we would go like, that doesn't sound very like super spiritual Christian verse, uh, the use of holy. Well, the holy means set apart. So it's used in that context several times. And so here, let's take a look at a verse in Exodus chapter 29. Present Aaron and his sons at the entrance to the meeting tent, and what? Wash them with water. Wash them, literally in mikvah, is, would be literally how it would say in the Hebrew. Then take the priestly clothes and put them on Aaron, a tunic, the vest robe, the vest itself, and the chest pendant. Put the vest on him with the vest belt. Set the turban on his head and place the holy crown on the turban. Take the anointing oil and pour it on his head to anoint him. So we're getting this thought here in this progression that here mikvah is used to wash them clean, because Aaron has a very significant role within the tabernacle, very, very significant here. We're going to actually dress him up here in the priestly garbs, but he needs to be washed clean before he did, did that. Now, that might make sense to you if you got married on your wedding day, right? You washed yourself before you put your tux or your wedding dress on. Well, ladies, I'm sure you washed yourself. Men, I don't know. We, we, we don't always think this through. So, but you wash yourself before you get prepared in this sense. And that's what's happening here, that you are washed clean before something else. So in order to do this, to prepare you for this thing, whatever it might be, you need to be washed. You need to be cleansed. Of this. Now they're thinking physically, physical dirt, but you can see how here, in order to do the work of the Lord here, this concept to wash yourself, to cleanse yourself, comes in. And the progression is going to continue. Here, the mikvah is cleansing water for purification. And guess what? It's repeated. This happens over and over. In fact, just like you wake up, I hope, and shower just about every day. It's a repeated process. You don't shower one day and say, that's it. I am physically clean for the rest of my life. Hallelujah, thank you, Lord, right? Um, no, we would all tell you pretty soon. You're not, right? Get back in there. Now, I realize there's an age for junior high uh, boys where uh, they might think this theologically, um, and they seem to try to roll through several weeks. 
But this is a repeated process. And so it is here that it became as a progression, this idea that if God had something for you, if you're going to be used in a certain way, then you cleansed every time you cleaned yourself up, every time you washed, every time you went in mikvah, so that God might use you in a certain way, or you might be a part of worship in a certain way. Does that make sense? A repeated process. And it, we would understand this, right? And it progresses. It's cleansed to make holy, to set apart, to prepare for something. So you can already start to see the birth of the concept of baptism we have today playing in. So mikvah comes into a lot of things. We see verses where the word mikvah is used in foot washing, right? We think of foot, foot washing like, I know we think of it almost always in terms, when we say foot washing, we think of Jesus in the example of servitude. And it certainly is a great use of that, maybe the best use of that for us. But in reality, foot washing happened every day, right? People were washing their feet all the time. Or they were having servants that would wash feet when they came into them all the time. Why? Why would you do that? Because you don't want to go in somebody's house with your dirty feet that you've been traveling with. We wear shoes on our feet, so we don't always think about it. But if you went out and did a muddy job, then you wash your shoes, or you take off your shoes at least, before you go in the house. The same type of concept. And so this this use of mikvah, this phrasing that's used when we wash our feet before we enter a house shows up in several passages. Then we just have bathing. The whole body is cleansed. And that we actually start to see show up in tabernacle, but mainly in temple worship. There started to be bathing yourself, even ceremonially bathing yourself as you offered your sacrifice or you offered your offering, depending on what festival you might be at. And so mikvah is the word. In fact, let me let you in on it. There's a little debate among uh, biblical scholars because if you've seen temple uh, renderings, you probably see this large basin, looks like a tub or basin, right? And that basin uh, is used for various purposes and Scholars kind of disagree whether that's a basin that would have been filled with water and people could wash themselves as part of the ceremony. Much like we would be baptized, dunking, come back up. They would say, I'm washed clean this year. Wash clean. Um, so some other scholars say, no, it wasn't used for that purposes. There's a debate there. So I don't want to give you a definitive answer, but it's certainly large enough that it could be used for this. And we certainly get passages where the concept of washing myself for the next year just as I brought my sin offering to cover my sins for that year. We'll be back next year, right? Kind of concept would come in as well. So we start to get this religious or spiritual component of the washing as well. And then, of course, there's this development of washing from sin. Washing sin clean. Now, we would understand the metaphor if daily you're going to wash the grime and dirt off of you and you have this visual of, man, I stunk and now I smell pretty good or there was mud on my legs, now there's no mud on my legs, that how that could very easily be used as an understanding for I'm washing myself clean of my guilt, of my sin and how that might be done ceremonially with 
water. We talked about uh, last Wednesday night, the idea that shows up in Revelation in the Old Testament of the scripture and specifically the Torah being the bread of God, what we consume and what we eat. And we saw these passages. And so it would make very good sense that you might have a ceremony where you receive a piece of bread and you eat that bread as scripture was being read as a symbolism of receiving God's word as your nourishment. The same concept here where water was used, but you're starting to see a spiritual understanding of washing my sin away. Just like the grime, just like the, the, you know, the poor smell, I'm washing now away the sin and my guilt. So that's where we start to, start to see the word baptism shows up, or baptizo is the word in Greek. It simply means cleanse anew or cleanse. So baptizo. And so when the first character in the New Testament that shows up that starts to wash in this way, specifically for sin, is John the Baptist. That's the first one we're recorded. But we actually have this concept of being washed free of our guilt of our sin well before that, all the way back even to a psalm that's attributed to David. So let's take a look at a couple of these. Psalm chapter 51, verse 2. Wash me completely clean of my guilt, purify me from my sin. Now, that's attributed to David. Some scholars say it's not to David, but most would line up with David. And we, if we know the story of David, we know like, yeah, you got a lot to be guilty for, right? You had sex with another guy's wife. Then you sent the husband to the front line so he'd be killed. Um, you abused your power. So that would make sense. You've got some sin. And he's going before and saying, Lord, would you wash me clean of my guilt? In those type of terms. So he's saying there, you know, like to be in mikvah and being clean, because that would have been their concept. But then John shows up and they start to use this word in Greek, the Old Testament being in Hebrew, baptizo, to describe this process of being washed, being washed anew. Here's what John says, or here's what's in John chap, or Mark, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 5. Everyone in Jordan and all the people of Jerusalem went out to the Jordan River and were being baptized by John as they what? They confessed their sins. They were coming to John in what's come to be known as a baptism of repentance, of coming and him washing you in the Jordan River as a symbolism of saying, you're washed clean of your sin. That people were coming and they were confessing their sin and sharing, taking ownership and repenting of their sin and turning from that. And the symbolism of that was to be washed anew. And the word attached to it, baptism, or baptizo. They were being baptized. Now the term baptism was used in a lot of secular senses, just simply means in those secular terms that you were immersed, immersed and you were brought back up, but it usually referred to some symbolism of the old's gone, the new has come. And so John, it starts working this way in John, this type of understanding. Then Jesus comes along and he says some interesting things. Take a look at John 3, 3. It says, Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born anew, it's not possible to see God's kingdom. Born anew. You know this passage? Jesus says born anew. Born again might be your translation. That's one probably most popular way we say this verse. But it's a form of the word baptizo that shows up in there. 
So Jesus is coming and he's talking as well about being cleansed anew or being immersed in something, right? He doesn't speak water at this moment, but being made new. And unless you do this, it's not possible to see God's kingdom. So you can understand there's this kind of this, this concept that Jesus is bringing in to say, you're going to be born again. You're going to be born anew. You're going to be cleansed anew in order to really see God's kingdom or to, to really understand the presence of God and understand the connection with God. Jesus is bringing this in. He's starting to say this baptism talk, Jesus is bringing new life into baptism language, not just repentance of what you've done, wash me clear of my guilt, but there's a new life that's going to come with this as well. So we would ask, what did the followers of Jesus who knew John's baptism as well, what did they understand moving forward? Take a look at Acts chapter 18, verse 8. Crispus, who was a synagogue leader, so picture this, he's leading a Jewish synagogue, likely as a leader, believed everything from the Old Testament, understood mikvah very well, but didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And we find out here that his entire household came to believe in the Lord. They had faith in the Lord. Basically, his entire household decided to put their faith and trust in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ through his death on the cross and his resurrection. That's what they decided to do. And what happened? It says, many Corinthians believed and were baptized after listening to Paul. So the concept here of not just, look, wash away my guilt, wash away my sin. I don't care anything about following Jesus coming here on out I don't, or following God, but wash me clean of what I've done is now married with this concept of believing in Christ and wanting to become a follower of Christ and believing and putting our faith and trust in the redeeming work of Christ. Paul is understanding these things are now married together. This idea of cleanse me, Lord, and make me new as I now go forward. I'm going to put my faith and my belief in Christ. And so baptism is starting to take a pronounced form of what it represents. Paul understands that baptism and new life are one. And that's how he preaches it. And that's how he acts on baptism throughout his letters. You understand the, the concept of bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah, where at a certain point a Jewish uh, young boy or girl would come, and this is really the question of bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah. It is this, is do you wish to be a believer? That's the question before them. And if somebody says, yes, I wish to be a believer, then there is a washing, there is a mikvah washing and it's a once and for all for them in the Jewish faith. You are washed, and from then on, you are declared uh, uh, the, a believer in the Jewish faith, but by your account, not your parents' account. Does that make sense? So there's kind of a crossing over from this was your parents' faith, and you're in their house, to you believe this now. And that's said at 12 years old or 13 years old. Um, and so that's the concept. That was going on in the time of Christ. And so for Christians, this doing baptism one time came into being as well. This idea of declaring my faith in Jesus Christ, forgive me of my past, I'm going to become and declare, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, that became more attached to the concept of baptism, not bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah for the Christian. And it moved forward from there, 
And for the most part, that's what baptism remains for us today. That idea of the act going under immersion and coming back up, and we're declaring, forgive me of my past, redeem me, um, a baptism of repentance, but the coming up is, I'm now yours, Lord. I'm now yours. I move forward in life with your life. So here's what baptism has become in this progression. Baptism has become the public marking point of a desire to be a Christian, desire to be a Christian. So we find that most baptisms are, 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 are overtly public, the baptisms, but some don't seem as public in Scripture, but they're more because they're instantaneous. They believe they go baptized right on the spot. Um, but it's like this public marking of a desire to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ. And so therefore, in the Christian faith, we baptize. This symbol and this power of representing, I am publicly declaring that I want to be a follower of Christ. In fact, uh, what I did for you this morning is I put together a video, as much pictures as I could pull together, and I'm grateful for Michael Leonard for having those on his website that I stole. So, and put together this video of as many baptisms as I could here at Wendover Hills. And so uh, I want to take a moment to show you this. Turns from darkness to light Anytime temptation comes and someone stands to fight Anytime somebody lives to serve and not be served I know, I know, I know, I know
fire, there was no doubt. Five old believing, saved and washed in the blood. But it was until I stumbled and made my mistakes that I could know in my soul how amazing was grace. You brought me blessings out of a tragedy. Some of you, I, I, you put your hands up like you wanted to clap for that. That's okay. You can do that. Yeah. yeah. I noticed that I had more hair in a few of those pictures. So what does baptism represent? Uh, to us, it signifies this. It's the cleansing of sin. It's the cleansing of the old. Remember, when we talked about sin, we've, done, we've talked about this in our series with John, not simply the idea of those acts I've done, but it's the way I thought what my focus and my priority was, and I'm washed clean of that. That's what it signifies, that the old is washed away. What else does it signify? The desire to receive new life. It's a commitment to Jesus to say from here on out, I want to be a follower of Jesus. That's why we talk to you uh, so often about we want to be a part of that process. We recognize being a follower of Jesus takes mentoring and discipleship, and, and it's a journey for the rest of our life, right? So that's what baptism signifies. This old is gone. The new life in Christ has come. And you can see how this progression, this idea of mikvah just simply as water God created to water being used to set us apart, to the cleansing power, to the new life that it represents and why that all comes together in one sacrament 
of baptism and why we'll do it and we'll continue to do baptism. In fact, here's how we look at it. Baptism is saying this, Lord, my life is yours from this day forward. That's what baptism is saying. And so that's why for us, it's, it's kind of a one and done thing in baptism. Though, I want to be honest, in scripture, if you want to develop a theology of should you be rebaptized ever, it's kind of ambiguous in there. Now, Wednesday night, I said it was ambiguous, right? I say that. And I'm still feeling like that's a real word, but no, no. All right. Ambiguous is a real, Jessica. No, no, she's, she's holding firm, all right? We'll fight outside afterwards. So, but whichever of those pronunciations it is, the scripture kind of remains that way on it uh, where you might develop this idea of if you walk away from Christ, that later on you want to make the same declaration, forgive me of that, I declare I'm a follower, and you do it through the ritual of baptism, um, fine. But the concept of becoming a follower in Christ is baptism, is this, Lord, my life is yours from this day forward. The concept of mikvah is saying, cleanse me today that I might be used by you. And you know, it's something in, in our Christian tradition, we don't talk mikvah uh, really ever, but that concept is just as important that daily I'd wake up, Lord, and, and cleanse my thoughts, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Today I want to be used by you. May your Holy Spirit send me wherever the Holy Spirit wants to go. And Lord, I'm willing to go today. So both concepts are are super and part of our faith as well. So here's what's going to happen this morning around 11 o'clock. You're going to get a text and it's, it's going to say, I'm ready to be baptized. And if you are, if you've never been baptized, if you've never made that public declaration and that, that symbolism, the power of that, of the old is gone, the new, you may have been a Christian for a while, or maybe you're ready to declare that you want to be a follower of Jesus, we would love to baptize you. Um, and it happens in uh, February. Uh, we'll choose the week that's best during that time. So if that's something you want to do, great. If you have not been giving, getting our text messages or you don't normally, or you just said, I, I don't want to get text messages, then you can use uh, one of our communication cards and let us know if you want to be baptized in that. I would love to at least be able to have a conversation with you about that, hear your story uh, before that time. So let us know if you want to be baptized, and uh, we'd love to have you do that. For all of us that are believers, think in terms of mikvah every day, that you would wake up, renew me, Lord, today, that I might be used by you wherever you would like to use me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this. Thank you for this progression. Thank you for just the idea of being washed new. Lord, that you look at us and you say, I want you so bad to be in relationship with you that I'm willing to create a way that washes you clean and that gives you new life. And we thank you that baptism is a representation of that. We give you praise. So Lord, this morning, what's important is that we declare our faith and trust in the redeeming work of your son on the cross and a resurrection, and that we want to live our lives, Lord, to mirror, to reflect, and to resemble you. Help us in that, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen.